the Sunday Sermons Podcast. As we continue our journey uh, through this series called Throwback, there are only a couple more weeks left. Uh, today's a little different. Most of the time, uh, this, this whole time, and in the next two weeks, we're going to be taking little snapshots of specific eras of history. By the way, I'm not taking pictures of you. It just looked like that. I, I'm, don't be creeped out. Um, but we're taking uh, snapshots and we're looking at what the church got right and got wrong. And we're trying to learn from that. We're trying to make sure as we compare all of that to what Jesus himself said the church was supposed to be, what the very first church, his first followers did, compare ourselves to all of that and try to figure out how we can do it better, more accurately, more effectively in the world. But today is a little bit different. It's more like, you know, like uh, those panoramic things. You know, those kind of pictures, you have that long, great, big thing. We're kind of taking a big step back and looking at a panoramic view of the church today. And we're focusing on what we got right. And again, if you've been here for several weeks or if some of you at your first time, I want want to make sure that we remember together, we're not pretending that the church has always been right. In fact, a huge focus of what we've been talking about here is how we've got it wrong and how we need to fix that. Uh, Some things that we need to change so that we can affect the world in a more positive way, a way that Jesus himself expected us to affect the world. But today, again, we're we're focusing on on the positive, and here's why. Here's just a life hack. Actually, um, could somebody hit the all on there um, light Back there, please, so I can see everybody's eyes. That'll be, and it'll help everybody stay awake, and it'll just be better all the way around. But here's a little life hack for you. If you know that you've got a habit or something else that's weighing you down, there's something you know that you are doing wrong, you need to, get, you need to deal with that, right? How, how many would agree with me? You need to fix it. You need to admit it, repent, change, get, do what you got to do to fix that. Rehab, I don't care. Whatever dramatic thing needs to happen, that needs to change. And if you're not that great at something that you need to be good at, you should probably practice. How many, how many agree with that? Oh, hallelujah. But here's the thing. The biggest impact you're going to make and that I'm going to make in the world is going to be not so much the things we don't do, but the things we do in the direction that God himself has made us strong. Uh, for, for example, there's an upcoming event here where some people from our church are going to uh, overhaul some cars, like winterize some cars for people. I'm so excited about that. You guys should be very excited that I am not one of the people messing with your cars. I have zero skill when it comes to cars. I, I don't have anything in that department. But, but I know these guys, and I, I, I talk to them, I pray to them, and they're, they're going to put this thing together, and I, I think it's going to be a wonderful thing. Uh, meanwhile, I'm concentrating on things that I can do. You may go, well, you're not as good as you think you are. Right, okay, that's fine. But at least I know I'm better at speaking and praying and music and some other things than I ever could possibly get at cars. Does this make sense? So today we're looking at the things that the church has gotten right, at the things that make us unique, the things that we need to lean hardest into. And then we'll get back into a couple more eras and wrap this thing up. Is that, is that cool? Everybody knows where we're going today? Hallelujah. 9-11-2001. Uh, we were down at the other building that's now our teen center. Back then this building didn't exist. That was Morrison Hill Christian Church. Uh, our secretary at the time, Edie Strayer, had for some reason brought in, uh, uh, brought in, 
what's that word? Brought a portable TV play, uh, that day. And um, she rarely did that, but for some reason she had it. And she was taking a break and she came in. She goes, guys, you got to come see this. Some idiot flew a plane into the Twin Towers. And we're all assuming, like almost anybody would, I think, at, at the very beginning, nobody had any context for this. We're thinking somebody was drunk, had a heart attack. It's some sort of an accident, right? We're not even imagining what it actually was. But we went in there, and like so many others around the world, and especially here in America, we watched the thing happen in real time. We're just sitting there like, what in the world is going on? But what I remember the most about that season was it didn't take long, even that day, in the next several days, more people than ever came by the church. And they weren't just wanting uh, food or gas money or whatever other things that, that people come for on a regular basis. They wanted prayer. They wanted some questions answered. They wanted to ask what the Bible thought. Is this the end? How would we know if it was the end? We had some extra prayer time, prayer services. Uh, our regular um, attendance went up temporarily, but it, it did go up. Um, this was pretty common all the way around, and here's why. Underneath all the brokenness, underneath all the stuff that we are legitimately trying to fix, people do know somehow still that the church is still a place you can go for sanctuary. It's a place that has some answers that are bigger than our questions. Even if we don't really have complete answers that satisfy us, we know Jesus. We know who to point them toward. Somehow in moments of intense pain and fear and doubt, people still know that. And, and somehow, even in the darkest series, in the darkest seasons of life, uh, the way the church, the times when the church just got it completely wrong, it seems like there were still some things that were right. So again, we're going to walk through all of that today and try to take some hope and some inspiration to get it more right than ever today. Because Jesus himself said this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. One of the central things that Jesus spoke about over and over, and one of the things that the church has gotten right whenever we got anything right, was we help those who need help. One of Jesus' most famous parables is actually more of an extended simile. He said, when he comes back, it's going to be like a shepherd um, separating sheep from goats. He talks about that some of the people are going to make it and some of them aren't. It's a scary passage. It's in Matthew 25. You should look up and read the whole thing, Jesus' own words. But one of the things he says is that the people that fed the hungry, the people that give Drink to those who are thirsty, the people who shelter and clothe those who need that, the people who visit those who are in prison, the people who care for the sick. They're not only obeying Jesus and keeping his commands, they're not only loving others as they would love themselves, but they are actually serving him. He counts it as if we are serving him, as if we were feeding him, giving him a drink, visiting him, giving him shelter, clothes caring for him if he were sick. And Christians are not 100% unique in this. I'm not pretending that either. Uh, th- almost every culture throughout time has had some sort of medicine, 
But Christians got really serious about it during the era of the Roman persecution, the very first couple centuries that there was such a thing as a church. They had to treat each other just to try to survive because of the injuries and the several things. They either got killed or if they survived, they had some pretty serious injuries. But word got out really quickly that they would treat anyone. Even though they were being persecuted and trying to do something secretly, word got out that Christians would treat anybody who needed help. There's a huge plague in um, the mid-200s, uh, and that was, it's now known as the plague of Cyprian because of a bishop in Carthage, Africa. And he, his name was Cyprian, and he sent out word to the entire Roman Empire, we've got to own this. Christians have to own this. People are panicking. There's this huge plague. We've got to f- treat Everyone, rich, poor, believers, non-believers, people need help as the church. We've got to unite to help them. Well, the church grew a lot in that season because of that. Don't forget, um, we're coming back to this in a second, but don't forget I said that guy was from Africa. At this point in history, the second full century after Jesus had walked on this planet, Part of the Roman Empire was in Africa, and some of the greatest leaders in thought and action in the church were from there. They were following the teachings of the early church leaders like James, who wrote this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It's hard to misunderstand some of the verses. Some of them are really harder This one's pretty easy. They were also practicing what Jesus himself had preached because Jesus himself had said things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and mind your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That those two commands cannot be separated. That to follow him means we actually obey those kind of teachings. We live that way. That's how we treat people. And Christians had learned in Jesus' example uh, to love their enemies, to pray for those who persecute them. Even to the point that after the season, the worst season of the whole thing, the first uh, couple years of the 300s, which was the worst persecution of all under Rome, they actually got to the emperor and converted the emperor. If you miss those, those sermons, uh, that led to some corruption. We're owning that. We're dealing with that. And that, that, that wasn't an entirely 100% good thing. But just look at the relentless faith, the relentless action that it had to have taken for those believers who are daily being persecuted and killed to still set such a good example, still relentlessly share the truth about Jesus that it eventually even got to the emperor himself. That's amazing. That's, that should give us all hope that no matter what we think we're up against, what we think might be just an insurmountable kind of a wall that's keeping us from doing God's will in the world, we don't have it that bad. And look what they were able to do. Another thing the church has done consistently throughout time is to care for the sick, just like Jesus told us to do. And again, every culture on earth in one way or another does this. But through the dark ages, we spent a lot of time owning all the 
broken sickness in the dark ages. But another thing that was happening at the same time is Christianity was starting what we now call the system of health care. The origins of what, how we see healthcare today started with that. Basil the Great founded the first hospital ever in 369. I think that it's really interesting that he found it in Caesarea, which was the very spot that Jesus stood when he said, I will build my church, ecclesia, a group that everybody's invited and everybody has a voice and everybody has a job. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was standing in Caesarea, Philippi. Anyway, they treated the whole person And they cared for them. And as they started things like monasteries and a bunch of other things, which theologically you may or may not agree with or even understand, one of the things that was great about those was the monasteries were also a place of sanctuary. People knew if you had no place to go, no clothes to wear, you were sick, there was nothing else, you had no other options, you could go to the monasteries and the monks or the nuns would take care of you. Even in this series, when Christians were doing the crusades, it was us causing a lot of the pain in the world. There were other Christians who were healing and still following the teachings of Jesus. Before long, there was a whole nother big plague that went through. How many have heard of the the bubonic plague, the plague, black death? Everybody hears that in history. That happened in the same season we dealt with last week, where the last couple weeks, actually, the Renaissance, the Reformation, that whole just how the world just completely got turned over and over and over. It's like being in a wash cycle or something for a little bit. Just everything changed. One of the things that was changing everything was this huge pandemic that was happening. And not only did the Catholic Church, but all of the new Protestant churches all jumped in and tried to help. Martin Luther wrote to John Hess, one of the other reformers, about how he was advising other fellow Christians to treat things. He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. And it's actually a pretty long letter. Another place I really love is he says this, I shall not avoid place or person. In other words, I'm not going to stop showing up where people need help. I'm not going to stop helping people, even though I'm scared. And he says, but be careful. He says, our, our, our strategy should be neither brash nor foolhardy, foolhardy and should not tempt God. It's kind of confused, but hopeful, dedicated, not exactly sure what to do, but he's jumping right in there. He's not going to give up. Does this sound familiar to anybody, how to deal with a pandemic, how churches really tried our best during this era? A lot of people didn't know. I didn't know until the last couple weeks that he actually wrote his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, during this. And that's what the line, Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. That's what that's about. It's a fancy way to say God is our only hope in this season where it feels like sickness is ruining everything. But he goes on. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And even in this season where the church was being reformed and reborn in several very important ways, even before we got to that spot, there were already over 37,000 
Benedictine monasteries throughout the world by this point, by the 1500s. And the Benedictine monasteries were the ones that specifically were equipped and people knew that's where you could get medical help. This was in that time of otherwise darkness. Another thing the church got right for a long time and then got incredibly wrong for a season. We talked about that last week. We'll talk about it again. But again, this is the positive panoramic view. But for a long time, we got it really right that we really did treat everyone equally. Has anybody ever heard of a guy named Augustine, St. Augustine? Okay. He was actually from Africa, just like Cyprian. Nobody thinks about that. He was a Berber. Both of them were Berber. And as you can, these are Berbers today. Very diverse, incredibly, all the skin colors, lots and lots of cultural, ethnic kind of variation within the Berbers. But the cool thing was nobody ever asked what Augustine looked like. He wrote an autobiography, one of the very first autobiographies, kind of started the trend of what an autobiography is, actually, in literature. And he told us, Sometimes more than I really wanted to know about him and his personal stuff. Never once mentioned what he looked like, what color his skin was, or any of that. Because it just was not an issue at that point in history. Nobody cared. So we really don't really even know for sure what he looks like. But he was from Africa. And I'd say he's a lot darker than most of us in this room. Anyway. Throughout history, there's a couple other great things that happened. The church was behind a lot of the great art expansion that happened, especially even in the Renaissance. You might have heard a guy named Johann Pachelbel. Anybody heard of Pachelbel's canon, at least? You probably heard that. Anyway, he grew up in the church. He did church music. He wrote church music. He performed music. And then he taught other people. For example, one of his students was a guy named Johann Sebastian Bach. Ever heard of him? He was a really uh, well-known artist. Did a lot to renovate a lot of things. One thing a lot of people don't know is every one of his original compositions, he signs his name, and then at the beginning, uh, at this, at the beginning of the page, he writes J J, and at the end, he writes S D G. J J stands for Yesu Yuva, which is Latin for Jesus Help Me. And SDG stands for Soli Deo Gloria, which means all the glory to God. So every one of his original compositions was actually an act of worship. Which is another illustration of what we said at the very, very beginning. Imagine if Johann Sebastian Bach would have been a blacksmith instead. Or if he would have spent all of his time just trying to stop one bad habit and never even practiced Composing. What if it? What would have happened if all of his time was consumed trying to be better at carpentry or something? This guy was obviously a musician. Are you with me? And, and this is just one more illustration of how this works. We've got to own the mistakes and fix them. We've got to get better at the things we're weak at. But what we really need to figure out is who God created us to be. What He really wants the church to be, and lean hard into that, passionately into that. We'll keep exploring that here this morning. 
Even in the first century uh, where um, the church had just formed, and what we, the letters written to that era of the church is what we now call the New Testament. The church was already struggling with some things. For example, the whole idea of freedom in Christ was really um, bizarre and new to them. And it, some people were saying, hey, if we have all this freedom, if it's not about rules anymore, we can just do what we want. And there's so many passages and so many letters in the New Testament that are dealing with that problem. And basically what they're saying is, no, no, no. Jesus sets us free from sin so that you can do all this other stuff that's good. Jesus sets you free from having to just earn your own salvation so that you can actually be his hands and feet in the world. And in the middle of one of those passages, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Another mistake the church has made, and we've dealt with this, is sometimes we get so focused on just saving people from going to hell when they die. Hopefully this is really familiar to everybody who comes here all the time. But Jesus' vision was so much bigger than that. That's the icing on the cake at the end of it. We are saved from living a life of sin into living a life of righteousness and helping him build his kingdom on earth and then go to heaven when we die. Salvation is all of that in scripture. You really can't separate it out. You also can't separate the idea that those of us who are supposed to be leaders have also got to be servants. This is consistent in all Jesus' teaching. How many remember the story where um, two of Jesus' disciples came with their mom and asked if they could be his right-hand guys? Remember this one? Let's jump right in the middle of that story since you already know it. They, um, when the 10 heard about this, the other 10 of the 12, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have clear precedent throughout the scripture and in the example of the church that there are times where we have to stand up against authority. There are times where the government or our families or who knows who is in authority above us is commanding us to do something Jesus says is wrong or or commanding us to stop doing something that Jesus says is right. We have the freedom, we have the responsibility, the command even from Jesus to resist authority in those situations. But one of the things the church has gotten right that's actually built respect for the church is primarily a lot of Christians throughout time have, have taken Paul's words in Romans 13 and many other passages and Jesus's teachings about mutual submission and submission to authority out of reverence to him very, very seriously. And they've submitted as much as they possibly could. 
They were whatever country they lived in, not just America. They tried to be the best possible citizens, the people that everybody else could trust, the people that everybody saw, this is what it means to be a good American, African, Australian, whatever. This is, this is what it looks like. That was the go-to. And then when they had to stand up, when they, that, that was like a unique thing. Wait a second. These guys are speaking up. They would actually pay attention. Listen to Paul's words to Titus, one of the early church leaders. Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to always be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful. Listen. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Whenever the church just doesn't care at all, we completely drop the ball. Whenever the church cares, but we only care about what we see as spiritual issues, we completely drop the ball. For Jesus, it was all of the above. It's not the same thing as being political. It's not the same as any of this. But he wants to speak to the whole person. He wants to speak to our whole life. He wants us to affect the community in positive ways. He wants to be part of changing and transforming lives and setting the best possible example here and now. And when we lose track of that, we lose track of Jesus's vision, the very clear vision that Jesus had for the church. Fast forward a little bit. Again, this is the panoramic view. We're up to the American Revolutionary War. We'll come back to these in the last couple of weeks. But during that time, churches, as well as all Americans, lined up on all sides of all the issues that we went to war about, whether we should go to war, whether we shouldn't. But in the midst of all that other craziness and brokenness and infighting and fighting and everything else, I think it is worth noting today that all the good stuff that's in the Constitution, all the good stuff actually is trace back to the Bible. Not all of it is straight out of the Bible. Some of it is filtered a lot through John Locke and several others and isn't exactly a biblical idea, but it can be traced back. For example, Thomas Jefferson, uh, when he's talking about that all men are created equal. That's, that's from the Bible. That's not from any other culture at the time. That can be traced back to God. When it says that our creator gave us all certain rights, as in we should all treat each other as image bearers. We're all made in the image of God. Male and female, all human beings, whatever we look like, are made in the image of God. That's traced back to God. 
Let's trace back to the Bible. The idea of limited government and several others. You have to squint just a little bit, but you can see those in the scripture as well. Did we ever get it right 100%? This is easy by now, I hope. No. No, we did not. But the ideas, the ideals, when we say, when people are trying to say, but this is a Christian nation, it started, what they're saying is, these ideals actually can be traced back to God. We can't change what the church got right or wrong in the, in, in, in the past. You know what we can change? What we do right now. We can make the church today what Jesus wants it to be because we're the church. We can make America what it dreams about being, has dreamed about being all along. America, as long as we live in America and we actually try to live out these things that Jesus told us to live out. If we were in any other country, we could do the same thing. Is this tracking? Making hallelujah. Couple last things, and uh, again, we're, we're, we're not skipping over the darkness. We're not pretending it's not important. We're going to focus on those again, but we're looking at the, how some things were still good um, in the midst of it all. When the slaveholders started bringing Africans to the uh, new world as slaves, a lot of them um, really believed that they were almost these spiritual blank slates. They, they just didn't believe they were even human beings, and I'm trying to hold it together better than I did last week. This is a really frustrating and emotional thing for me. But here's what I know for sure. Not only were they human beings, but some of them were very religious. A lot of them had some random other kind of uniquely African religions. A lot of them were Muslims, and a lot of them were actually Christians. A lot of the people who were brought over as slaves because Christianity was already a really big thing in Africa all the way back to Cyprian and Augustine days, they were enslaving their brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of them wrote about this later and said, I can't believe Christians would do this to anyone, let alone fellow brothers in Christ. One of the biggest miracles in American history is that there are still black Christians. One of my biggest dreams and passions is that we can reunite the churches, that there's no longer just white churches and black churches, that we can fix that. But the fact that so many of them believed anyway, even during all the years of slavery, is just amazingly heroic and amazingly miraculous to me. That's something they got right. During the Civil War, uh, so much brokenness, so much bad stuff. But one of the most inspiring stories I've heard about the restoration at the end is actually involves Post Oak Springs Christian Church, which is one of our sister churches just down the road. Uh, They, like so many other families and so many other churches, had people that had joined both sides of the war, had been fighting each other, literally brothers fighting brothers. And one of the dads was a church leader in the church there at the time, and he had sons fighting on both sides. And when the war was over, they organized this huge communion service, invited people from all over East Tennessee, and they said, listen, We've got to move on from this. We've got to be family again. We've got to be Christian family again. We're going to take communion together. We're going to pray. We're going to seek some healing. 
so much brokenness, but that kind of faith, that kind of, no, we're going to fix it somehow. We're going to do whatever we can think of. We're going to at least try. That kind of passion is what it takes to get stuff done. We've got to learn to fight side by side against the real enemy, which Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, I'm sure you've heard this, is spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, not each other. One of the things that's been great about so many of the wars that we, I think all the wars that have ever been fought by Americans or other countries that there were Christians there, is there's almost always been Christian chaplains involved who are there to help people spiritually. And there's always been soldiers who are Christian. And whatever you feel or uh, love or hate about war itself, in the midst, again, of the darkness, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the complexity of it all, there's always been people who are there, not only for each other, but sometimes even for the people that are not fighting in the countries that they are fighting in and often for their families and extended families when the war is over there's been a lot of goodness that happened i'm thankful that it was a lot more than just christians but i'm so thankful that so many people united and and defeated nazism in world war ii but what really made a big difference of christians making a big difference in the world. It wasn't just Christians who were fighting that war. What made a big difference was how we treated each other in the midst of it all. This is always, always going to be true. What's always going to be absolutely unique about Christianity is not our ability to serve others, but why? Because the reason that we serve others is because our commander, Jesus Christ, commanded it. Jesus said, I am the Christ, the one possible, the one possible savior there is. The son of the living God. When Peter said it that day back in Caesarea Philippi and Jesus praised him for it. That's what he said. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the savior, the only one who can save us. You are the son of the living God. You're the only true deity that there is. That's unique to Christianity. And Jesus' own claims about that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's unique about us. We have that unique truth. But nobody's going to care about it or listen to it if we don't put his teachings into place about serving others about humility, about surrendering and submitting to each other out of reverence for him. When we start attacking and we start condemning everybody else, we, we lessen or sometimes even just completely eliminate our chances to actually bring them onto Jesus's team. When we actually set a good example, we increase our chances dramatically. It's all about Jesus, but he has partnered with us. Philippians 2, Paul says that we have to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had who put everything on the line to save us. Jesus himself said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all of the things that I have commanded you. And if we did that, he said, all I will be with you always. 
This morning, as we, as we wrap up, I want to just remind you one more time that um, all of these have a Bible study attached. In your bulletin, it's there. If you're watching online, it's, it's there. Um, somehow digitally attached. And I hope that you go back and let the Holy Spirit kind of process this alone in small groups, whatever. But another thing you'll see on this week's thing is a place where we, you can actually write beside the words of Mike Frost's um, little um, acronym that we've talked, at, uh, talked about several times the last couple of weeks. He uses the word bells. There used to be church bells on almost every church building. Um, he said there's a better kind of bells that's more biblical, and that is this. Make some time every week that you intentionally bless someone. Not just other Christians, but people that are outside of the church. Figure out something you can physically do or some sort of a way you can tangibly encourage them. Do something to bless someone intentionally in the name of Jesus. Don't just think it's a good idea to do so. Find a time and a place and tangibly do some blessing. Also, make some time to eat with people, especially other people who are believers. Connect Really build some deeper relationships. Make sure that you take time to listen and to learn from Jesus himself through his word and through prayer, but also from other people, even people you disagree with, even people who are not believers. That, but, but if you listen and learn and that's where you start, you've got a chance to actually show them the truth that we have in Jesus. Be part of sending. Maybe be the ones who are sent. I don't know how God is going to call you to ring those church bells this week, but here's one more time. Let me say this, and then we're going to stand and sing. If you've got a decision to make, you you can make it as we do that. But listen, one more time. If there is some brokenness in your life that's unrepentant, you've got to get rid of it. Please get rid of it. And we're going to continue as a church to open up those scabs and try to fix the stuff that's broken in the church, the global church, Morrison Hill, ourselves. We're going to keep doing that. It needs to be done. If there's something that you know that needs to be done that you're just not doing at all, absolutely get started. But my big prayer is this, that we remember the most important things that Jesus gives us. We remember that we have the one true truth that can save people. And we, as his representatives on this earth, we have the ability to make that really palatable and effective or not. And each one of you has a specific gift, a specific talent, a specific set of opportunities, a specific set of relationships and resources that he has given you so that you can be part of that. You gotta figure out the role you play and lean harder than ever into that. That's where the change is going to happen. God bless you. Let's stand and let's sing.